Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Advent and Isaiah. It's our hope that as we spend time in this ancient text, we will get to know Jesus better this season. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, good morning, friends. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Chuck. If we've not met, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm one of the worship leaders. I usually have the privilege of working with a number of artists in our church. That's great spaces for God's people to worship. Spaces like this morning, spaces like the gallery wall out there, the student building. And really what we want to be about is just empowering artists to create beautiful spaces. But today I've got the, the privilege of sharing the Word of God. So we're going to be in Isaiah 11 this morning. If you can take your Bibles out, uh, you can open up to Isaiah 11. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find some in the seatbacks in front of you. We're on page 562 in the Black Bibles there. And we're going to be talking about peace, peace, peace at Christmas. Now, when it comes to peace at Christmas, I think there's kind of some differing opinions on exactly what we're talking about. For example, I believe it was Animal from the beloved TV show, The Muppets, who coined the phrase, peace on earth, give me presence, right? And I think some of us are maybe more like this as we move into Christmas. This guy up here, we're just like, I'm stuffing my peace until January. There's going to be no peace. But then some of us, I think, are more like this. We recognize this guy right here. Yeah, yeah. And we're just like, oh, in September, it's sweater weather. In October, and Christmas is coming. But here's my theory, right? We get through like November and December, and then we all kind of look like this. Yeah. And I just uh, wonder if we live in this ever-elusive kind of aspirational quest for peace at Christmas, like we want completeness, we want wholeness, we want contentment, but in reality, what we experience is like hype and exhaustion, striving and crashing. It seems like maybe the Christmas season just amplifies what's going on in our heart all year long already. We're in a rush and we're really, really tired. It's about five or six years ago that I began seriously considering how I could just slow down. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding wasn't present in my countenance, let alone my soul. At least I didn't sense it. I was anxious. I was overbooked. My breathing was short. I was tired a lot. I began reading books like Mark Buchanan's The Rest of God and Bruce Haley Barton's Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. I began starting my day by lighting a candle. I took a two-month break from my work a little bit later, which I was grateful for. And I began to learn all I could about practices of Jesus, like Sabbath, solitude, silence, and slowing. And those who are closest to me, you know, they might smile a bit. Those who know me best, they'd be like, eh, he's got a ways to go, you know, he needs to keep working on it. But what they might also say is, I've noticed, I've noticed, and I think that would be a fair assessment. I think I've got a ways to go because at the crux of it, I think really I love hurry. Underneath it all, I want a busy schedule. Does anybody relate to this? And I don't know if that's true for you. It might be because you believe the lie that if you're busy, you matter or 
You believe the lie that if you're busy, you won't miss out on anything. For me, I believe the lie that I just want to do everything. You know, like, let's do it all. Like for my 40th birthday, my wife, bless her heart, she loves me so much. She planned a day packed with literally as much activity as she could possibly fit in because she knows my love language is let's do everything. <laughs> let's do it all before noon. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to give up something you love. And it's harder still to give that thing up when your culture that you're immersed in maybe loves it more than you do. Let's do everything. Let's do all of it before tomorrow. Meyer Friedman was an American cardiologist and researcher who lived from 1910 to 2001. He did extensive studies on the effects of hurry on our health. He coined the phrase hurry sickness. You might have heard of that back in the 1970s, 50 years ago. And if you're on your notes, hurry sickness is defined as a behavior pattern characterized by chronic rushing and anxiousness. It's a behavior pattern characterized by chronic rushing and anxiousness. An overwhelming, persistent sense of urgency. Like even when there's no need to be moving fast. Sometimes we got to move fast. Sometimes we got to get stuff done. We got to go. But I'm talking about this kind of persistent, like, what, why are we rushing? Like, what's, what's happening? Why are we moving so fast here? And he says this about our culture. He said this about our culture. He said, we live with a continuous struggle and an unremitting attempt to accomplish and achieve more and more things, participate in more and more events in less and less time. Like more tasks on the task list, more hours at the office, more projects at the house, more places to experience, more posts to scroll, more episodes to watch. John Mark Comer in his recent book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he did this kind of history of speed. And I've kind of condensed it here, but it's fascinating to look at this. Like you might go all the way back to like the 14th century when the first clock tower was invented and the phrase, you better be on time, was coined. <laughs> and then how about like in the 15th century, the printing press, we get the beginning of content as we know it. And in 1879, Edison invents the light bulb. And oh, voila, we can work into the evening. And then in the early 1900s, we get these so-called labor and time-saving devices. Yeah, right. Like the furnace and cars and washing machines. So now we're going to have so much more time, but we just fill it. We fill it with all these other things. And then, of course, a date that'll live probably well into the future for centuries, 2007, the iPhone released into the wild. Social media goes public. Do you know that 75% of Americans, so the data says, sleep next to their phone? 90% check it immediately upon waking. The stats say the average smartphone user touches their phone some 2,600 times per day. As a family with our two oldest kids, we just watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma. It's a documentary featuring former employees and executives at social media companies like Facebook, Insta, Snap, Twitter, Pinterest, and the like, where the underlying goal, get this, the underlying goal is literally to, quote, consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. 
Guys, the CEO of Netflix was recently interviewed and he was asked, hey, aren't you worried about like these competing and rival services that are coming out, like from Amazon? He's like, ah, oh, no, I'm not worried at all. Our only competitor is sleep. And since the digital revolution, attention span has dropped from 12 seconds in 2000 to under eight seconds today. There's a study conducted that says walking speeds in major cities are like 10% faster. But we don't know about this. We don't have time to stop and consider the effects of all of this on our health. Look at this quote from a New York Post article just this year, a few months ago. It says, what are the costs of speed addiction? We live under a weight of demands, real and imagined, that are debilitating. We see an alarming increase in stress-related disorders of all kinds for all ages, beginning with elementary school-age children struggling with depression, anxiety, attention disorders, a list of problems for all ages. But, but we believe we should be able to go fast, and there is something wrong with us if we can't keep up. And I just want to speak a word of gospel peace into our hearts this morning. I just want to speak a word of rest over us. An invitation from the Lord to slow. Come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Listen to this from Isaiah 48, 17 through 18. This is what the Lord says. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If you pay attention to my commands, your peace will be like a river, your well-being like the waves of a sea. That word there, peace, just happens a number of times in the scripture. It's translated from the Hebrew word shalom, which means completeness or wholeness, a sense of unbroken well-being if you're following along. Completeness, wholeness sense of unbroken well-being. In Jewish communities, the word is still used as a familiar greeting in farewell. In fact, I read this week that when they're saying this, they're saying, may you be full of well-being. May you be filled with complete and perfect peace. May you have health and prosperity, clarity of mind and spirit be upon you, inner and outer contentment, fullness of life and joy. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. It makes me think of the Apostle Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews. How did he begin every one of his letters? Grace and peace, shalom, inner contentment, clarity of mind and spirit. And this is the story of Christmas, is it not? This is the story of Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, shalom. This has been the desire of God for the whole world since the very beginning, since he created Genesis 1, he created the world. And upon finishing it, what did he say? He said, this is very good. This is whole. This is complete. There's a sense of unbroken well-being here because that's what God values. God values shalom. He doesn't value hurry. He doesn't value achievement. He doesn't value accomplishment. He's not worked up. We just sang about this, right? Like he's the everlasting father who never grows weary. He's the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And if you read through the scriptures, you immerse yourself in them. In the story, what you'll see, if you're following along, is that God walks slowly. 
precisely because he is love. God walks slowly because he is love. When asked to sum up all the law and the prophets, Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The prophet and the law can all be summed up in one word, love. And love and hurry, they're just incompatible. Isn't that true? Love and hurry, they're incompatible. I mean, anybody this week, you know, you're just stressed out to the max. You're running around in like this mad frenzy. Like I may or may not have been doing on Wednesday when I couldn't find my basketball clipboard. My family can either confirm or deny. (laughs) All right. Like you're just in a middle of a hair on fire, frantic fit. And you just had the most deep and meaningful, soul refreshing, mind rejuvenating conversation, right? No, that doesn't happen. Because hurry and love are incompatible. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. And God walks slowly because he is love and because, and because he's more interested in the deep soul formation of his people than shallow surface fixes. If you're following along, God is more interested in deep soul formation than shallow surface fixes. He wants to see humanity flourish. He's for their shalom, their wholeness, their completeness. And this takes a long time, doesn't it? Formation takes a long time, but this is the story of Scripture. So I want you to just flip over your notes. And on the back there, we've kind of created a timeline. Now, we couldn't fit every event in the Bible in there. I mean, the font was getting real small. <laughs> But you've got the anchor, anchor points of the scripture. I just want you to look over this as I read this quote to you from this amazing book, Three Mile an Hour God by Kosuke Koyama. His premise in this book is that God never goes above a walking speed, but it's us who want to sprint. And he says this, he says, I find that God goes slowly in his process with man. 40 years in the wilderness, points to his basic educational philosophy. 40 years of natural migration through the wilderness, three generations of the United Monarchy, 19 kings of Israel, 20 kings of Judah, the hosts of the prophets and priests, the experience of exile and restoration. Isn't this rather a slow and costly way for God to let his people know the covenant relationship between God and man? God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. So good. And it's into this long and slow, messy, but grace-filled story that the prophet Isaiah speaks. You can see it there on your timeline, right around 730 B.C. Now, Isaiah's words there are most likely compiled and written down after Israel was already in exile, post 586, turned into what we have today, this prophetic prophecy, poetic prophecy, this prophetic kind of poetry, this prose that brings warning to Israel and the nations, warning against idolatry and injustice, but hope, hope of a rescue from their disobedience. It's this prose that riffs on the theme of a coming mysterious figure a savior, a son. And as we move through the chapters of Isaiah from one all the way through, it's like we're moving through this thick but clearing fog and we can begin to make out kind of the features of this Messiah 
this person, this king from the line of David, 1000 BC, from the offspring of Abraham, 2000 BC. It begins to take shape and form in chapters like Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11, where we arrive today. And the message of this entire chapter in 11 can be summed up in one verse. It's verse 1. 18, 17 English words, 12 Hebrew words. I want us to read them aloud together. Can we do that? Off your notes in the front. It says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, our goal in this series has been to see Jesus through the eyes of Isaiah. But you have to understand, like, the original readers of this text, the original hearers of this, like, they're pre-Jesus. they got no concept of what Isaiah is talking about. So they're going to be asking the question, like, who's he talking about? Like, what is this? And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time today. Who is this that they're talking about? We good? Everybody doing all right? Ready to dive into Isaiah 11 here? So I want us to see several things that he is, this figure, this Messiah. Number one, if you're following along, he's the shoot. He's the shoot. The text says that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, the last time I checked, shoots take time to grow, unless they're like, weeds in my backyard that like come up like lightning, but uh, I'm talking about like a, a, an oak tree or something. Does anybody know? Talk amongst your neighbors. Like how long have you plant the seed of an oak tree? Does it take for it to pierce the soil, the shoot? What do you think? Go ahead. All for trivia in a sermon. Come on. Four to six weeks it takes. God's all about sowing seeds, isn't he? Like, I, I try and sow seeds. I'm trying to plant grass right now. It's going miserably. And I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. But God, he's all about sowing this. He's sown this seed in Genesis. It's been working itself out through the slow story of God, generation after generation. Think about this. If you open your Bibles, you go to Matthew. It's the beginning of the New Testament. You just start reading. Right at the beginning, what do you read? Abraham. Fathered Isaac, who fathered Jacob, who fathered Judah, who fathered Perez, who fathered Ezrin, who fathered, is he going to read the whole genealogy? Because like, we don't have time for this. Like, we got to move on. But God does have time for that. He does have time for that. And when we miss out on the genealogies, we miss out on the slow story of God. You see, he is the shoot from the line of David son of Jesse, promised heir in 2 Samuel 7, the fulfillment of the covenant in Exodus 19 and 20, the blessing to the nations, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and nothing thwarts the slow and sure plan of God. He's the shoot. Number two, if you're following along, he is the hope. He is the hope. Praise God, he's the hope. See it in the text, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So Israel, according to Isaiah, they're like a tree. It's going to be cut down, so to speak. And we talked about this already, the prophets. They came with a word of hope and a word of warning. And what's the two things that the prophets are continually warning about in the Old Testament? We mentioned this, right? Idolatry, the worship of other gods, 
and injustice, lack of love for neighbor and the nations. Now, it's fascinating to me that when Jesus is asked to sum up the law and the prophets, remember, what does he say? Two things, same two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. No idolatry, no worship of other gods. Love your neighbor as yourself. No injustice. Love the nations. Israel is supposed to be like a tree planted by streams of living water, but the prophets say they're going to become like a wasteland. Why? Because they were more interested in being formed by the culture that surrounded them than by the way of God. They became like the nations instead of helping the nations be filled with shalom. In 2016, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, five days, 17,000 acres in the Smoky Mountains and the surrounding area were tragically burned in severe forest fires. I remember watching this on the news, just having this gut-wrenching sickness feeling in my And we vacation a lot there. And um, it just kind of connected to me. And isn't this like living here, like in between his first coming and his second coming, we just agonized. But I think Isaiah is also pointing to the fact that the effects of idolatry, like hurry and rushing and all the rest, are just as devastating on the soul of a person, the relationships and structure of a family, a nation, a culture, as a forest being taken out. It's not just the culprit of the crime that deals with the fallout. There's collateral damage. But even in the devastation, even in the disobedience, he is the hope. He's the shoot. I love this picture. He's the Messiah who brings beauty from ashes. Our family, like I said, we go there every other year. And so we're there just this past summer. We had the chance to hike and walk right through some of the areas that were burned. And this, it's like five years later. See the green growing back up. It takes time. But we don't like that, do we? Like we want it fixed immediately. But God moves slow. Why? Because he's so much more interested in our deep formation, our deep healing, seeing us all the way through. And a quick, cheap surface fix or escapism. He is the hope. Number three, he's the root. He's the root. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And you say, I thought he was the shoot. I thought he was the shoot. But this is the thing. He's so cool. He's also the root. Like he's the shoot. And the root. He comes from Jesse, but Jesse ultimately comes from him. He's son of man and son of God, son of Jesse, Lord of Jesse, author of life as we know it from the beginning, creator and sustainer. Colossians 1 says, I find Job 38 4 so fitting here. The Lord says in Job, Where were you when I, the root, laid the foundations of the earth? It was some time ago. (laughs) Tell me if you have understanding. Tell me if you have time to take a break from your hurried schedule, set down your phone, stop scrolling your feed, put down your work. Before Abraham was, I am. He's the root. He's the root. And last, he's the branch. He's the branch. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So he's a root that brings a shoot. 
that brings a branch that bears much fruit. And what kinds of fruit does he bear? Well, let's just track through here from about verse two to verse five, because it tells us exactly what kind of fruit. I see in verse two, the fruit of wisdom and understanding. And if you remember, like we're trying to see Jesus through the eyes of Isaiah. So Isaiah's saying this Messiah, this son that's going to come, people will flock to him. They'll be amazed at his teaching, compassion, and understanding. He's going to be gentle and kind. I see the fruit in verse two of counsel and might. Like people aren't just going to flock to him, but they're going to listen to him. And he's going to set a path and he's going to stick to it and he's going to persevere. I see the fruit of knowledge and fear of the Lord in verse two. Like he's going to know Torah and he's going to practice the way of the law. But not only is he going to practice the way, he's going to love the way and the word. And he's going to love the father. Verse three says he's going to delight in it. And I see the fruit of justice and equity for the poor in verse three. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but he'll be patient. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Like he's not going to be an anxious presence. You know what I mean? He's not going to be reactionary. He's not going to be a hot mess with his hair on fire. He's going to move slow, slow, slow enough to see the vulnerable to see the hurting, to see the have-nots. And he's going to be extremely, extremely generous. And he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He's going to speak the word, gospel proclamation. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Glory to God in the highest. I love this text. It's like Isaiah's just saying, let me tell you about Jesus, though I've never seen him, nor will I. Let me tell you about Jesus 700 years before he walks the face of the earth. Let me tell you about the greatness of Jesus. I don't know all he's going to do or accomplish. Look how Isaiah loves Jesus through this prophecy. And he moves into this remarkable and stunning picture of the outcome. The goal, the fruit of the righteous branch, which very closely resembles the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, I might add. What's the goal? What's the goal in this text? Verse six, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. So secure is this peace, this shalom that a youngster, a little child can exercise, get this, can exercise the dominion originally given to humanity in the garden in Genesis 1:26, when God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and have dominion over it, over the fish and the birds and the livestock. All of this is alluding back to the garden, back to Eden, original shalom. Look at verse seven, the cow will feed with the bear. What's that a reference to? Well, in Genesis 1:29, it says, to every beast of the earth, I have given every green plant for food. Now we could get into a little thing about vegetarianism here, but that's not the point, right? Like what he's saying here is the cow and the bear, they can eat together because the bear's not gonna eat the cow because the bear's gonna be eating the green plant. Yeah, you see? Or how about verse eight? The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Whoa, slow down. (laughs) What's going on? That is another allusion to Genesis 3.15. The seed and the serpent. The cobra and the infant. 
There's going to be no more destruction or devastation on my holy mountain. Verse 9, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Israel, friends, Israel was meant to bear this fruit to the nations, weren't they? They were meant, but they got sidetracked. They got distracted. They got in a hurry to pursue other gods. But because love is slow and it bears all things and it hopes all things, and because God is love, he stepped in to pay the penalty that was meant for them amazing. If you're following along, he's the true Israel who comes to restore shalom to the nations. He is the true Israel who comes to restore shalom to the nations. Now, this story is our story. It's the story of Advent. It's the story of a people who live in the land between the first and the second coming. That's us. Live in the tension of heartache and hope. 22 months ago, I was out for a walk, like I often am. I think Lisa and I might have both been out. And uh, we're walking, and we see this tree that was trimmed. There's a picture of it up here on the screen. And we're like, what in the world happened to this tree? <laughs> like, this thing is dead. I cut it down. And every time I'd like drive in and out of the neighborhood, I'd be like, what's the deal with the tree, man? <laughs> like, what, what? He trimmed it way too short. But then in June 2020, about five months later, it looked like this. Green shoots. And in December, just last week, 2021, 22 months later, I went down the street. I took a picture of this tree. This is them side by side. Look at the branches. It's the slow work of God, the multiplication. 22 months ago, February 2020, we were, unbeknownst to us, weeks away from a global pandemic. We were all about to experience some major pruning in our lives. Yeah, some forced slowing. And a lot of us were like, what the heck is this? What the heck is this? And here's my question for us this morning. If you had to take an evaluation of your soul, your mind, your body right here today, 22 months later, how you doing? I know maybe there's some ups and downs, ups and downs over that period, but I'm asking over the long haul. You less anxious or more anxious? Less reactionary, more reactionary. Do you walk 10% faster? Or do you spend 10% longer with the Lord? Have you allowed this time to drive you to the Lord, abide in him, to slow? And maybe you say back, you're like, oh, come on, Chuck. Like, that's a, that's a hard stretch of time for us to be evaluating here. Then I'd say, all right, all right. Where are you going to be 22 months from today? Who knows what's going to come? I mean, that's going to be October 2023. Let's see, that's going to be one month before the next presidential election. Is your hair going to be on fire? Are you going to be reactionary, judging by what your eyes see and your ears hear? Are you going to be rooted in the deep peace of Jesus? Are you going to look more like the culture around you or more like the root of Jesse, the righteous branch? I don't know what kind of crazy is going to be in the world at that time. I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be some surprises and there's going to be some difficulty, but I know one thing. I want to be the kind of person that is learning to walk in the solitude and slowing. Don't you? 
I want to learn to walk in silence and prayer, filled with the knowledge of the Lord and shalom, because I know he is the hope who's always working for the reconciliation of the world, no matter what comes, just as he's been doing this past two years. Like, I have faith to believe that he has done some things in this past two years, don't you? He's done some things we can't even see. And we'll reap a harvest eventually if we keep going, keep giving ourselves to him. I believe that as the world spins faster and faster and the culture gets darker and darker, Jesus shines brighter and brighter. And his way is just more attractive. So where, if you're following along, where do you need to confess your hurry and apprentice his way. Where, if anywhere, do you need to confess your hurry and apprentice his way? And secondly, where do you need to love your neighbors as yourself by seeking their shalom? Love your neighbor as yourself by seeking their shalom. Now we are going to move into a time of communion here. And I just want to give you a couple minutes just to think about those two questions. I just want to pray a prayer over you as you do that. Father, I thank you for the space we have this morning to gather and to encourage one another. We take just a moment to pause. We believe that you're the God who speaks. Like we're not here just to sing songs today and we're not here just to open up the book. We are here to hear from you. So as we reflect Come and meet us. Come and help us answer these questions. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.